developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. We all have a to-do list. Here's an idea. Put save hundreds of dollars on car insurance on your to-do list. And the good thing is you don't have to drop off or pick up anything. All you have to do is go to geico.com. In just 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. This company, Geico, who's been with Spikes Car Radio for the longest time, has been offering great rates and great service for over 75 years. And anytime you need help, you can speak to one of their trained specialists 24-7. The company is Geico. Go to geico.com. It may be the most rewarding thing you do today. Now, Podcast One brings you Spikes Car Radio, a downloadable cars and coffee, hosted by writer, comedian, and automotive enthusiast, Spike Ferriston. Now, here's Spike. We're just going to start right in today, this week on Spike's Car Radio. Let me see if I can lower this. What's different here, Zuckerman? Is it my seat? No. I, I think that... Oh, wait. Tool. There you go. All right. It was my seat was too low and the mic was too high. You're shriveling. I thought I was Dick Van Dyking, that my spine was collapsing down. And yeah, was... he, had a, he had a much better starting point than the two of us. I want to have Dick Van Dyke back on. He's, you know, I think he was one of the very first podcasts we did, right? Were you there? That was I Matt was not Farrer. There. No, I had Matt Farrer come in for that one. But what a day that was. Just personally for me to have Dick Van Dyke. They grew up watching this guy, and there he is in Malibu hanging out with us. Can you do he's, the music? He's, he's, do, 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 not without paying the royalties. Oh. Mm-hmm. But he's still uh, still performing. He shows up at Bill's every weekend. Is he He'll driving? He drives Jaguars. Um, he, he told the story about breaking down his Jaguar. He's a really inspiring guy. But what, why I said, uh, you know, smaller is those old guys. And, you know, this is where we're headed right now. Your spine starts to collapse as you get older. You get uh, in your 90s, you start losing inches down. And that's when your pants fit right <laughs> up around your nipples, like my grandpa Abe, who had sh- then shortened his ties to yeah. like, hanky-sized. Is there any way to protect against that? Like, is there some sort of stent I'm, I'm looking forward in? to it. I'm looking forward to doing some things he did, which was to take his snotty hanky out of his upper left jacket pocket and offer it to people. Yeah, you can do that now. We could do that now and get away with it. But you what think? about some sort of spine injection to keep the spine from collapsing downwards. Why don't we invent something? <laughs> I bet Elon well, Musk yeah, has a, yeah. something in the works for that. Yes. That's, uh, there's another voice in the room LSD. today. LSD. This is, uh, do you prefer Edward or Ed? I generally go by Ed. What about Ed? Ted? I actually was Teddy when I was little. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, you know, call me anything. Honestly, when your name I is... Just, uh, let me just introduce you before everybody interrupts. Yeah. This is Ed Niedermeyer. His new book is Ludicrous, uh, The Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. Ed, thank you for being here. Thanks I'm for looking me. forward to this because, you know, Tesla looms very large in our lives these days, and especially on Twitter <laughs> with your uh, podcast and co-host, Alex Roy. Yep. I... You know, and Zuckerman and I, we've been trying to make sense of this Tesla world, and I think a lot of people are too. You know, it's 
it's this big mishmash of like you know bringing electric cars to the forefront of the automotive technology and the automotive world we credit them with that at the same time we're trying to reconcile what is Elon Musk doing on Twitter calling people pedophiles yeah. in Thailand we hear whispers in Hollywood of all sorts of you know wild parties and you know and you wrote a book that pretty much is the start and the finish of this whole thing. Well, I don't think it's the finish. I think this this book really is only the start. Oh, um, it's the finish. This, <laughs> believe me, I wish it, I wish it were. I wish I never. I, some, there are definitely times where I wish I never had to write about Tesla again because it is so controversial. I okay. Just, well, first, I just want to qualify you just as yeah. a guy to write the book. Where Where did you start? What was the name of the uh, the automotive uh, blog you were doing? So I started at truthaboutcars.com. Okay. Right up against that mic. Yeah. Get right Truth about, 2008. 2008. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I got into it by accident. I didn't uh. – I studied political science and just kind of couldn't find what a job. What does that mean by was, accident? Well, so I, le- I left school in 2008 and I had a little bit of media experience. Um, but my dad, uh, running a, a campus magazine and blog, my dad uh, is a huge like classic car nut, like – Earliest memories are cars, right. you know, encyclopedic memory of cars. He has a website actually called curbsideclassic.com. Um, and, uh, and he does like history of cars. And, mm-hmm. and so he was writing for this website, Truth About Cars. And um, they were launching a news blog. They started out with long form only. And they started a news blog. And, um, and uh, you know, they said, do you, want, do you want a shot? And I was like, sure, I'll write about cars. It's something to do. Um, I got to pay rent now. Uh, right. so I'm out of school. And uh, it's 2008. I can't get a job waiting tables. So I'll do it. And I just threw myself into it. And, um, uh, you know, that was an amazing time for the auto industry because there were, you know, everything was was coming down. Right. And it was. So you're covering like Detroit. Yeah. The death watch of Detroit. Yes. And then the rebirth of Detroit. Yep. <laughs> and then the the death of Detroit. The ups and downs of the whole industry. Yeah. Sort of the, it, the bigger picture stuff. Exactly. And so okay. like, I, I realized really early on a lot of people were really good. Um, there were a lot of people writing about cars themselves and were really good at that. And that I needed to find something a little different to do. And um, my interests have been in you know, economics and politics and mm-hmm. trade and, and the environment, all kinds of different things. So I, I started using cars as a way, as a lens through which to understand sort of society more, more broadly. Mm-hmm. And like the, the, so I became very interested in the forces that shape it. And that was a really great opportunity to learn like how hard the car business is. Mm. And I think a lot of people don't really we, – we see cars so much as consumers these days. That we don't think about everything that goes into making those cars, the systems and the, the forces that shape them. And so to me, that was really interesting. Um, and then sort of Tesla eventually came along and it was a, just a whole other way to look at, at those forces. So what inspires you to write this book? What's the moment? So it's funny. I, I was actually just driving down here from Portland, Oregon, and, and I stopped at the, the place where it all started, which is a little uh, uh, truck stop on the side of the road of I-5 mm-hmm. uh, called Harris Ranch. And um, the first the first company um, that I really paid attention to when I was writing to that I got excited about because it, I felt like it showed me the future of what cars mm-hmm. could be was an Israeli company called Project Better Place. <laughs> and they would and, and Spike knowingly looks at me why because I represent <laughs> all Jews. I represent the worldwide Jewish conspiracy, folks. I just look, I've got I my just, hands on the dials and the switches. I was just looking uh-huh. at you. Are you gave me a knowing look. Are Jews. you not? Are you of familiar with Better not. Place? No, I am not. But he looked at me like I was should be familiar because <laughs> I know. All all of them. So go ahead. Don't you? <laughs> I do. Wait, wait. Hold on. I'm, I'm working the switches and dials. The, the world media and Don't the financial my markets. Name, Morris Fernstein. But go ahead. Continue. So, Soros. So they were. This this was a company that had this really brilliant idea. I thought, yes. um, which was sell an electric car without the battery. Okay. 
Uh, so the car is cheaper. It costs, right? Seems to batteries be- not included. You, you take Sell a flashlight literally, without batteries. Literally, batteries not included. This is hilarious. The battery is the most expensive part of the electric car. Right. If you sell a car without the battery, it's the same cost as any other car. Okay. And then, useless. <laughs> if you don't own the battery and you live within a country like Israel, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they would have these swap stations, and so it would like it propane would, tanks. Yeah, you would just drive in. It would swap the battery out and put it back in, and so it, right. it solved to me the two biggest problems with EVs, which are charge time and cost. And, and so I thought is this, this is a brilliant idea. And I was young and naive at this time, and so I thought what mattered in this world was having good ideas. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was like, this is a good idea. This has to succeed. Well, it didn't succeed. It blew right. up, and hundreds of millions of dollars went up in the air. And it's a fascinating story in and of itself. Right. But then I thought. Battery swap will never happen again, and then Tesla started talking about it. Right. And they put this swap station in. Um, they, they demonstrated – I was suspicious from the get-go because they put they, – they demonstrated it once, and it was all behind a curtain. They said it was all automatic, oh. no humans involved, but it was behind a curtain. I'm like, that's interesting. <laughs> Did they use the word curtain? Uh, <laughs> Screen? No, it was Up, pay no attention curtain? to the Did man it? behind the curtain. <laughs> I see. It was very, very Wizard of Oz. Yeah, we need AC in here. And Zuckerman's flatulence will begin any minute now, so uh, we, we th- want it already began when I was when I was calling Mr. Soros my other Jewish friend. <laughs> Is well, Soros Jewish? Well, okay. Is that why he's so much part of the right wing conspiracies? I didn't know that. Well, you said it, uh, but yes, that's uh, that is part of it. So the, there's a, just a whiff of anti-Semitism and we, all that. Yeah, but we don't say anti-Semitism. We call we don't even call him a Jew. We call him an internationalist, uh-huh. a global internationalist. I don't know Who what is, that means. Yes, internationalism is synonymous with uh, Jewish conspiracies, ah. Ah. sir. Okay. Yes. All right. You see, we like to take a little tangents. Yeah, no, that's just, I'm... Are you familiar with these little things? I, I've heard a few things, yeah. You know, because before the show, we started talking about our friend, you know, Mr. Ford, another visionary, yes. Henry Ford. Mm-hmm. And he had also some, he had some amazing theories that worked out and some kooky theories yes. about the international Who was the first Jew. Nazi stand-up comedian that we were always, uh, that we were Oh, God, about? now. Yeah, okay, we, you work on that. Yes, <laughs> Frank. <laughs> oh, Frank. Frank. Yes. Come on. Frank Fay. Frank Fay. Good, yes. Zuckerman. Wow. Look at that. Steel yeah. trap memory. All right. So I'm sorry this story is a little, a little long, but the long story, the, the short version is, is that, is that five want. months after they announced that this was open, they were like inviting people to use it. Okay. Hadn't found a single report online of anybody using it. Right. Went down there randomly on Memorial Day weekend because there was going to be a ton of traffic and just was like, I want to see if this is real. So not only did they not open it, there were these all these lines for superchargers. People were saying they did this drive all the time. Tesla hadn't invited them. As far as they knew, like this wasn't even available. Couldn't find anyone. And, and they all said the pay. idea was being that you would drive your Tesla as it was running out of juice. You'd pull in for a battery swap yep. and you'd get to move on. And, and, and it never, would take you five minutes. Were, but wait, let's just back up because I think it, it, how you describe it is a little confusing. This is something Elon Musk. Tesla's already been formed at this point, yes. right? Yeah. And this, this is the is, Model S. This is the Model S. This is a new thing that Tesla is putting out and they announced because I remember this yeah it's it's all it's all the we're gonna we're gonna swap your batteries out yes. and that's how we're gonna solve these quick charge time issues exactly so you can start traveling outside of your city yeah right yeah. so you're saying you went to that place yeah on Memorial go, Day I, weekend just I, to I, see if it was real just to see and how it, it works yeah well, so what, so what happened was, sure enough, there was tons of traffic. People okay. were – there were like three deep lines for the superchargers, which right. means someone takes an hour to charge. Then the next person takes an hour to charge. And then yeah. you get an hour. So you're sitting there for three you – know, people were pissed. Right. Kids crying in the back seat. People saying they would pay any price in the world to swap their battery and just go. Right. But it wasn't, it wasn't available. What Tesla did do instead of making the swap station available is they brought in a couple extra superchargers and hooked them up to diesel generators. Uh-huh. And so I'm oh. sitting there watching people – 
charge up their environmentally friendly green cars with the exhaust, you know, just going out, the diesel exhaust going right there. Right. And I'm like, look, this is not something that normal, normal companies do. Right. And when you do investigative journalism, you have to have, you have to know that it's going to be worth investing your time to really dig into this company. And when you see something like this, there's never just one cockroach, right? Like, you know, when you see a company act in this way, there's going to be more stuff. And so I started, I started digging and I found a bunch of cockroaches. Wow. And, uh, and just a totally different like story so of how are the this first company cockroaches you find that oh. make you go, you know what? I think this is a book. So, so actually, yeah, about a year later, um, one of the biggest stories I had was uh, I found out that they were uh, having people sign non-disclosure agreements in return for what was called goodwill repair, um, oh. which is like warranty, but it's not really warranty. Oh, so they can do some different accounting with it. But, now, but you know he's a PI lawyer, right? Oh, so I this is that. his whole world. Oh, yeah. So, mm. so they would make people sign a non-disclosure. Um, and what that did was that prevented people from reporting defects to NHTSA, the safety regulator. And so the safety regulator was cut off from their only independent source of data. I wrote the story about this. <laughs> Look at his brain swimming. Literally, right like, <laughs> as soon as I discovered the story, that was wow. when I was sort of like, okay, there's, there's enough here. Like, right. I really had to start Major thinking about a book. cheating. Is that – okay. Is that the most shocking thing you discovered or, or was that – because that's oh, shocking I mean, to on me. On the safety front – Why I, is that shocking to you, Zuckerman? Because there's rules. There's rules that you uh, – manuf- To me, as, as someone on the outside of a corporation, this to me is just like standard corporate Yes, bullshit, I mean we, we see it right? again and again, but it continues to shock in the way that Dieselgate shocks, which in, in the way that sudden unintended acceleration with Toyota shocks. Car companies are supposed to report – defects or problems to NHTSA, the National Highway Transportation Safety Authority, so that there could be an independent organization that tracks these things and then says, oh, hey, wait a second, yep. you got a big problem here and you need to do a product recall. This is beyond some object or part breaking. This is a defect like Takata airbags. It happens again and again and yeah. again, but when you have a new... out of those pill yeah, bags. When, when you have a new visionary company that's supposed to change the way that things are happening and i might be stealing your thunder but when i hear this i say my god this new company that's supposed to be paving the future and and we envision the future is going to be a different world a better world a less corrupt world a safer world engaging somehow immediately in the worst of the worst tactics that old detroit does old car industry does you go holy shit they got these was it genetically inbred to cheat is it just the way everything is always done from yep. day number one yep or is it we got it we no, got that's a, so it's it, a real oh. silicon valley mentality right. right you know every it's always rules don't apply to us new rules don't apply to us we're geniuses we're the future but, but there's right. also a unique aspect to it and this is so so Jewish. once i started uncovering a few of these cockroaches also i mean i found them violating the tread act with these stealth recalls overseas right. and not reporting that all kinds of stuff and and Clearly, these are not bad people, right? Clearly, I, uh-huh. I don't think anybody, even me really? as a, a critic of Elon Musk, can't deny that his fundamental motivation is to make things better. And so I really wanted to understand how is it that someone with the best intentions in the world right. you know, ends up doing really you know, questionable things. By the way, the battery swap, too, that was a way to get tens of millions, potentially up to hundreds of millions of dollars of extra Funny. revenue from the credit program, the 
California Air Resources Board credit. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. their CarbZone staff was telling them we're getting ripped off by this fake battery swap thing. <laughs> and the board members were like, yeah, but it's, it's Tesla. Future. Don't worry about it it's too much. Because it's Tesla, so they gave them a pass. They gave them a pass. But and then, and, and but, all but, of but, these but things. it's just a straight con. It's, you well, know. There, there, there are these moments where Tesla has cut corners or done things that are, you know, very problematic, potentially illegal in some cases. Um, and they've gotten away with it because of the of their their image in a lot of in a lot of it. But but the reason that they've done it is because they took a unique approach to the auto industry in that they tried to take the Silicon Valley venture capital fundraising approach and bring it to the car business. And I think that's at the root of a lot of where Tesla has gone really, really wrong. Because what that VC model is, is you know, you you raise money, you sort of operate unprofitably. And eventually you reach a point where your business can be profitable theoretically. And, and, and so it's built around software, right? So when you develop software, you invest in it, you build the software. And once you build it, it's like you can scale it infinitely for no extra cost. It's one big fixed cost to develop. Once you pay it off, it's like 100% profit margins. And that's how you get big, extremely profitable tech companies. Car business is not like that. Mm-hmm. And so using that venture capital approach to fund a car business where the key is not just develop one product and then you get 100%, you know, huge profit margins once you pay it off, you also have incredibly complex operational challenges on top of that. And so... Um, what has happened is is that Tesla, from the very early on, underestimated how hard cars were. And oh, so those they, guys, those guys, all those other people are stupid. We're smart. Exactly. Yeah, hubris. Jesus. <laughs> and so they got well, behind. We all like to draw cars when we were little kids. Yeah. They go, I could do this better. Yeah. And, and then this, steep, steep learning curve of pain. And so then they have to, so they start losing money, realize that it takes more money to develop even the Roadster. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we go out and we raise more money. And what this does is it gets them in this cycle where they have to come out with a new thing that's just around the corner all the time. Oh. And and then and come up with, you know, creative revenue sources like bilking the California Air Resources Board credit program for tens to hundreds of millions of dollars with the battery swap thing. They wow. keep having to do these things to get ahead. And and I think what the book shows is is sort of how that cycle escalates over mm-hmm. time and how good intentions eventually but but believing that the ends justify any means gets you to a point where all of a sudden you're actually doing And then things. you're John DeLorean and you're in the room with the cocaine. I mean... And the parallels are shocking is it, what I'm hearing. That's... <laughs> it, I mean, the car business... So is, so is there a moment where they run out of money? Oh, repeatedly, right? No, I mean like run out, run out. Like they're done. So it's funny because people have been saying like, oh, you've been predicting, pre- uh, predicting that Tesla will be doomed for you know 10 years right. and you've been wrong all the time. Well, what I've been wrong about is that people have continued to keep pumping money into the company. <laughs> Every 12 to 18 months, Tesla needs $1 to $2 billion pushed into the company. Have they made a profit yet? Not no. an annual profit. They made a couple quarterly profits, but they're, they're but, tiny. So they're underwater every year of their life. Yeah, here. for 15, 15 years now almost. Wow. Uh, I didn't know now. you could do that. Maybe it's because I never studied business. It's called but... Hollywood? Huh? Isn't that Hollywood? No, like Hollywood, pay- you you can, but you're getting paid. You're making money. Yeah, you can lose money and fail upwards in Hollywood, but eventually you have to do okay, something. Okay, but remember, right? like all these years. So but I didn't know you could create a business that every year you're losing money. Well, oh, uh, that's called a Ponzi scheme. That's called <laughs> Bernie Madoff. That's called something Ponzi. 
dealt in, in I think, safety matches is what he dealt no, with. No, but isn't the idea that you're taking money in and then after three or four years, you're suddenly profitable, right? right? That's the, available but, to, you're able to generate enough profit to right. pay off those investors right. and then make that right. investment be a But I, I think at a certain point, it's remember, was it the Hunt brothers who cornered the market on silver back in the 80s? Are you familiar with the story? Um, Edward? I've heard of it. Well, they said once that, you know, if you if you borrow if you borrow a million dollars from the bank, the bank owns you. But if you borrow a hundred million, you own the bank. And, <laughs> and and basically what you're telling me is an updated version of this again, where Tesla owns the bank, where everybody's in so Deep. deep. They yep. can't they get out. They have to continue to pay. To, they know they're getting conned. But Maybe con- he can start the next recession by himself, kind of like Shearson Lehman. It'll just be he goes down and then the whole world goes down. Well, and this is actually <laughs> why a lot of Silicon Valley people don't want to be critical of Tesla is because they know if Tesla does go down, everybody else that's in this burgeoning mobility yeah. technology Uber. space, whether it's, yeah, Bird scooters. it's TNC, scooters, autonomous drive companies, yes. tens of billions of dollars of investment tied up in these companies that because of these just mentalist associations, right. if Tesla goes down or has, has a big issue, all of those companies are going to take valuation haircuts, and they're going to be only worth, you know, they're only going to be millionaires and not billionaires. This is which... Ed Niedermeyer, uh, author of Ludacris, The Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. Are we in... Um, are wait, we in... Pittsburgh Post-Gazette uh, reviewed your book. Uh, a fellow by the name of Patrick McGinty mm. kind of reminded me of Pat McGroin. Get it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> ah, ha, ha, the real McGinty. Pat McGinty. Uh, this was uh, his review. In Ludicrous, Elon Musk is a hoaxer for the 21st century. Yeah. <laughs> and he really gets into a lot of the stuff. I really enjoyed reading this because I thought it was just me, but obviously it's not. He blames the media. Hostile tweeting is his preferred form of communication mm. unless you count non-disclosure agreements, yeah. as you were saying. He requires no advertising budget, not when his army of online evangelizers will attack anyone who doubts his vision. <clears throat> Let's just stop right there. Yeah. Who, you know, I do admire the guy and a lot of people admire the guy he's for what genius. he's done and what he's he created. Who are these uh, nut jobs on Twitter? Uh, and uh, I'm sure on Instagram, I'm going to hear about when I post this show. They because they they have a religiosity to them. They have a a, a cult like reaction to things. Yeah. Who? What is that? What am I looking at? So I, I think there's a, a combination of things. I think one, on one level, what what Tesla has done is create um, a confluence of um, sort of ideological things, right? Saving the world, uh, the environment, global warming, frustration with slow pace mm-hmm. of change on, mm-hmm. on in cars, right? And then on the other hand, you have this financial incentive where a lot of the biggest fans are also investors in the stock. And they right. have this belief right. that, you know, with the internet, you can sort of shape reality. Mm-hmm. And if you sort of spin everything and enough people get together and spin things enough, then you can create this. That's a truth. That's it not a belief. Tr- it That's is. advertising or, you know. And but and when these forces combine, you know, it's like, uh, uh, yeah, I think I, I love history. And like in the Crusades, the Fourth Crusade, you know, they went to go <clears throat> liberate Jerusalem. And instead they ended up going up and sacking Con- uh, Constantinople, right. which was the, the, the biggest city in Christendom, mm-hmm. because there was this weird mixture of like the Venetians' commercial interests. They were competing with with them and then also this religious aspect and when when you get those sort of ideological and financial incentives aligned together things go off the rails mm-hmm. and i think that's what's happened with tesla's culture and what has happened with you personally have they yeah. been reaching out to you so in 2016 <laughs> when i i just decided to write this book and i wrote that that story that i mentioned earlier about the non-disclosure agreements mm-hmm. uh tesla wrote a, a blog post about me uh, apparently it was basically drafted by elon musk and uh they said that i make stuff up that i'm shorting their stock 
Uh, You're a pedophile. Yeah, uh, I did not say that. Things have, things have progressed a little since then. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't the first journalist that so they these attacked. So these were untruths. These were yeah, lies yeah, yeah. about Com- you. Com- they smeared you. Lies. Yes. Yep. See, this is where, to me, the, the Elon Musk Tesla story, it veers into Trumpism yeah. and the way they handle bad news or criticism. They, these personal attacks. I see those similarities and the boasting, too. The weird boasts that we're the greatest and we're the best. I wouldn't say it's as bad as what's going on right now, but it's still, it, it's relative, right? <clears throat> and I wouldn't even say that, I'm, I'm not saying that he's a right-wing conservative in any way. I'm just no. saying the way he sees the world and himself. Him against everyone. And him against everyone, right. Yep. You know, because you, you're making, you're pointing out some valid bad behavior with this battery swap. You're saying, hey, this is wrong. Yeah. And I think most of us listening right now would go, okay, yeah, even though I like Tesla, that's wrong to defraud the state of California like that. That's not right. Right. That's a con. Yeah. Right. And why shouldn't someone call it out? Yeah. And, you know, that's the, that's what he chooses to do. He doesn't choose to address the action he took. He attacks you for yep. pointing it out. And I think one one similarity so, – so the culture outside the company, of course, reflects the culture inside the company. Right. And so I've talked to a lot of people inside the company. And, and one of the big challenges there is that to run a company that's 30,000, 35,000, 40,000 employees, you can't just manage – one person cannot manage that. It doesn't matter if they're the most brilliant genius manager ever, you know, born. It, it can't be done. What you need is culture. And the problem at Tesla is that the culture is all just, will Elon like this? It is, it's like a dictatorship. <laughs> it's not a managed place. It's, it's really a dictatorship. And the problem I with that is, like is that personality. Like that. It's North Korea. In, but Zuckerman, yeah. wouldn't you like that? You run a business. I like I, it. I wouldn't yeah, mind it if people okay, are like, will it, Spike like that? I would like, uh, I would love okay. it more if more you of my employees said that. You would, you actually, you would hate it because. <laughs> but I do would, like honest you, feedback. Yeah, right? you would, you, you, you would feedback. hate it because you would not be able to, you're more objective than that. You don't need right. to be tickled that way every two seconds. You I like a good tickling. And, like, I think a lot of, like, smart people understand that, like, you know, no matter how smart you are, you know, everyone makes mistakes. And you need to have people around you who can call you out and rein you in. Yes. And the thing is, is that Tesla doesn't have that. And so Elon's personality is taking it off into these weird realms that Mm -hmm. that just don't make sense. Have you gotten any death threats? Uh, Yeah. Remember Silkwood? Wait, hold on. Hold on. (laughs) Wait, really? Um, Yeah. Violence. uh, uh, Yeah. On social media? Yeah, email, social media. Wow, email. So someone on the, had your email. Well, that's so, yeah, I mean, my email's not that hard to find. So, some oh. ecologically green-friendly person was gonna is going to bash your head in. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, I sense some of the same frustration here with Ed that I have with this company, which is I, I love everything they yes. do. I just want them to you do You want them to right. win, but win right. Win right. We yeah. love the idea, yes. but play the, a clean game. You know, and, I, and, and uh, you know, I, we were... I told you Erica was looking for a car, and you know, with all the nonsense that Elon puts out there, I just couldn't trust the you know that that it was truly a safe vehicle to put my kids and my wife in. I I didn't I didn't believe in it. You know, I just thought there's too much nonsense here, and I can't you know bet my family on that. Yeah. Right. So so it's interesting. You know, and, that, I, and it was a bummer because they they wanted the car. We all yeah. wanted the car. So, so the Mustang Mach E. I know just. Right. Was released last night. I don't know if you've seen yes. that yet. Mm. Pretty, pretty good look. Stealing kinda. the thunder of the Taycan Turbo yes, word yes, usage yes. is the yes. Mustang. Mom. What? Wait, what? That's not a Mustang. You know, God, God bless. They must be so happy Porsche did that turbo thing, don't you think? <laughs> good Ford, right? Because yeah. now we can call this weird egg shaped 
like electric thing. The mach uh, No, a Mustang. <laughs> it's not a Mustang. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, and I, I think it shows like what the auto industry does. Again, again. So people from the tech sector think that what matters in the car business matters in the tech sector, which is right. being first, first right. mover advantage. Yes. If you're the first smartphone <clears throat> like iPhone, you know, iPhone, you become Apple. Right. In the car business, it doesn't really work like that, actually. No. There's, so I use the example of Citroen in here. Citroen had, you know, front drive, unibody construction way back in the in the 20s, even. They had the, the shape, the technology, the fundamental technological concept of what cars have now become. But it wasn't enough. Wow. They, you ha- it takes <clears throat> all this other stuff. And what the industry is good at is not necessarily pushing things forward. The industry is bad at pushing things forward. But once things do get pushed forward, they're, they're really good at taking the innovations at work and commoditizing them. And I think that's what, what you're seeing. So, so Tesla... People really, they have to love them. It's like Jaguar. You were referencing Jaguar. Everyone has a breaking down story if you own a Jaguar. You have to love a Jaguar to own a Jaguar. Dick Van Dyke told his breaking down story. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, and so like... It's 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 part of the deal. It actually makes it more appealing mm-hmm. that you love the car so much that you put up with that. Right. And so there's a bunch of that happening with Tesla. And for the early adopters and the techies, and this is why if you go to Palo Alto, there's Teslas everywhere. And it's because people in the tech sector look at that car and they're like, this is this car reflects who we are. And and they they like that. That's so important to them that they buy it and they put <clears> up with all this mm-hmm. crap like bad quality, three wait three month wait for parts sometimes. But for the mass market. They're not going to put up with that. And that's why I think Tesla really needs to just be a small volume. They need to be Silicon Valley Porsche and not try and get into the mass market. And I think mm-hmm. what you see with the with the, the, the Mach-E and some other cars that are coming out is I think that, you know, the, the, the regular automakers are going to take – they're going to make things that are like 80 percent of a Tesla, 85 percent of a Tesla in terms of the tech and the performance and all that. But get you right. go to a dealership that you, you know and you trust. It's reliable. Always parts there. B- better build quality. Just a, a more – like approachable, easygoing, mainstream consumer experience. And I think that's that's going to be a real problem for Tesla. Here's what Pat McGroin said. <laughs> oh my one God. of my favorite lines from the review. Elon Musk is a human bingo card of things I dislike about the 21st century. <laughs> Isn't that a nice line? It's a nice well line. Crafted. Let's so, go. Uh, let's take a break on that line. Uh, Mr. McGroin's uh, well put words. And we'll be right back here with Ed Niedermeyer author of Ludacris, The Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. So how do you know your motor oil is good enough to protect your engine? Well, guess what? You don't, but one brand does. They literally go the extra mile with everything. I'm talking about our friends at Valvoline. That's right. Valvoline is the only motor oil brand in the world with an engine lab completely dedicated to testing motor oil. They take their products and their competitors, I might add, and they run them through the gauntlet. You hear that, Zuckerman? I'm talking thousands and thousands of miles. Then their engineers and technicians drink that oil. No, they don't. They take those engines apart piece by piece and evaluate exactly what happened. Was there carbon buildup? How did the seals hold up? Did the engine perform like it was supposed to? And most importantly, were the critical engine components protected? So when Valvoline is formulating oil for your engine, they know exactly how it performs and what protects it best. They've seen the results firsthand. It's why I trust Valvoline in my cars, in my motorcycles, in my mini bike. And it's why Valvoline has been trusted for more than 150 years. Head over to Valvoline.com slash spike to see what product is right for your engine. You're listening to Spike's Car Radio. 
All right, we're back. Uh, Ed's here with uh, his book, Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. Buy it for that electric car, someone, this holiday, where you buy your books. At your local bookseller. Or e-seller. <laughs> <laughs> or download it to your brain directly. <laughs> Go ahead, Zuckerman. You wanted I, to I'm follow just up. Thinking, I'm thinking of you know the movie Tucker. Was it Jeff Bridges? Yeah. And now I'm, I'm seeing Mr. Niedermeyer here should be writing the yes. script for Musk, yes. which will come out in 2050. Because there's this is some long. Howard Hughes element yes, to this, Yes, of course. Too. So yes. I think Howard Hughes is actually the, the best parallel to Elon Musk. Like, if you want to understand him, right. I think Howard Hughes is who you have to yes. look at. Yeah. Except maybe instead of the OCD, it's microdosing. <laughs> instead yes. of peeing in jars <laughs> and keeping your fingernails. Peeing in jars with your Molly yeah. and then drinking it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the answer is no. I'm, I'm not currently working on a movie. I do think it would make a, a great movie. And um, I don't spend a lot of time in L.A., so maybe uh, if you guys have well, suggestions think, of people. I don't like, think I'm really a around in 30 years to help this but i think because it's a it's a 30 year out story yeah right yeah. You know, we need a little bit of space where we forget about this guy yep. and then are reacquainted with this this hubris that reflects the who who's elon who are we casting for elon musk well again 30 years no right now you can make That's this a... movie right now who are you what do you come on let's do it on. oh you're right? better at this than me <laughs> james belushi <laughs> I knew that would get you. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> James Belushi as Elon Musk. <laughs> that would be good. I would write that. Yeah. That would be good. Let's put that up on a, uh, like a little theater on Melrose and make our friends go see it. <laughs> that would be good. Well, who do you think could play Elon Musk? Who would be oh, a good man, Elon Musk? A... Where would we put that? I mean, you could go a couple different... <laughs> A couple different directions. And Harry, also, Potter not, <laughs> Harry Potter guy. Harry Potter guy. What about Dumbledore? Is he yeah. still around? Yeah. No, I think, uh, you know, who's the guy? And I'm thinking uh, uh, Randy, Dennis Quaid. He's Ooh. too old. You yeah. think? Yeah. He's got the crazy googly eyes, though. <laughs> he'd, he'd a young kind of John a go- Totoro. <laughs> <laughs> he'd play a googly-eyed Elon Musk. What about uh, what about really fat Russell Crowe? <laughs> He'd be also throwing kind of shit, <laughs> throwing, throwing his, large batteries, throwing his own feces <laughs> like this as he walks around. I'm fascinated with the office culture of Elon Musk because you know those little things you read where it's like if you're if you're not contributing in a meeting, he'll just get up after a minute and walk out, or he takes meetings in five minute intervals. Like all of those little details are, if we were still writing Seinfeld, are perfect stories. Right. For either Elaine's boss or George or somebody, because it's so. And when you read it, it's so stupid. It sounds like it makes sense, but then you're like, God, this is so. Can you imagine just getting up in a meeting and walking out in front of your boss in five minutes if you're not contributing? What would actually happen in so, the real world? I've I've heard some amazing stories that actually couldn't go in the book because come you know, on, all right. Well, no, one us. of the the hardest things about this about this book was that um, people are terrified to talk about this company. Right. So tell us some amazing Elon stories. Elon Musk attacks people and destroys them. What's that? I mean, Elon Musk attacks people and, and destroys them. So one of the things that is in the book was you know there's he. Famously, you know, uh, goes and solves all the problems in the factory. Well, you know, you talk to the people who actually have manufacturing experience who are involved in those situations, and they're like, no, no, no. Like, he doesn't know anything about manufacturing. (laughs) He just – he goes in and, and, like, he motivates people, but it also stresses people out and, like, uh, yells at them and screams. And, like, at one point, uh, this guy was told uh, (laughs) – and, and this was one of the rare ones that I actually could use because he Why was like – Why can't you use the other ones? Because you be, can't verify them? Uh, because, yeah, it was, a lot of times it would be something that he just said to one person. And, right, and right. if I told them, it would immediately identify 
who this who I my see. source is and I protecting see. sources was like one of the most important things in this book and I had to leave a lot of stuff out to protect them but yet Elon Musk said uh, you know uh, I could be in Bora Bora right now um, enjoying the company shall we say of an actress uh, but instead, because you are a bunch of idiots, I have to be here and like solving all your problems. But wait a second. <laughs> but isn't he an idiot for being with that actress? Right? I mean, <laughs> and by the way, the actor's Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo is Elon Musk no. today. Oh, oh no, that's a little too hulky and sleepy, I think. He's but not, that's, that's he's got not kind it. of that's a, he can it. play a wacky look on his face. You need someone who's thinking and whacking and turning, and it's a little spectrum-y and, you know, moving around and talking like that. Who's that guy? The guy from the iRobot. Huh? Mr. Like, robot, dude. Google oh, Jamie Malik? Yeah. yeah Mr. Robot. What about James Franco? James Franco would be too much of a like sex him. Uh, hound Elon yeah, Musk. Who plays yeah, the that girl? Who plays you the you think that that's not a character? Did you know that Elon Musk used to own a uh, part on a, 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 a nightclub in Hollywood that was well, famous that sounds... for his lingerie dancers? Like, well, there's this side cool. of Elon that people don't know. No, I know. But like, he, know. He's, he's like the nerd also, god king. Also, when he was yelling at, like, you know, I could be somewhere else speech. That seems like something both you and I would say to people who work for us, Zuckerman. <laughs> Get your shit together, people. That's a very relatable boss statement. But, you know... Uh, I, I want to know more about like the personal rules, like like how he these claims of overhauling office life and 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 changing the way it works. You know, uh, that's the, the stuff. Uh, yes, because now we're going to think in the cult of Elon, he probably has an advanced way to go number two in the office. <laughs> He's going to solve I, that my, problem. My sources well, yeah. have not revealed those. <laughs> you look deep, into dark that for me. Yeah. Well, you hear what about the sleeping on the floor? Like, there's a lot of reports that he's just laying on floors, Edison. falling asleep <laughs> you know wherever he stops decides to sleep it definitely happens yeah, yeah for sure yeah um it used to happen but, to me but then i had reasons for that <laughs> but also he kind of tends to because he's also got spacex and he's got what the boring right. company and all mm-hmm. this other the flamethrower business whatever all this I other didn't stuff like the flamethrower idea I did. and so he kind of parachutes in really dumb. and like again with the car com- a, a car manufacturing <clears> system is like it's process driven and it's about consistency over a long period and you can't, it's very hard to just have someone drop in and be like change everything based on what i think is right um, without really understanding how the system is working. Okay, now, Alex Roy's not here. No. But um, certainly, I follow him on Twitter, and there, between him and Farah, and I'm sure yourself, mm-hmm. this autopilot madness and yeah. controversy that you guys really, you know, dig down on, yep. that I'm having trouble understanding. Yep. You know, uh, you know, uh, from where I sit, it looks, it appears as if you guys object to this being called autopilot because it's not a full autopilot. It's an assist. It's an assist. Yeah. You know, but also, I guess the the argument is this is just a trade. It's a copyright of something that Turbo we're selling, S. but you think it's misleading. No, so, so actually, explain, just explain the controversy to the audience and why we should be upset about this right. autopilot. Okay, so the uh, so Google uh, was developing self driving cars right for for a long time uh, since the early two thousands. And um, around 20, end of 2012 or 2012, they had this idea and they, they, had this, they, they thought, okay, we know we have a long ways to go for cars to fully drive themselves, but we think our cars are pretty good at driving on the freeway. Um, what if we had this product called Autopilot, literally, only there was a capital P, which Tesla doesn't capitalize, uh, 
and and let's test this on our employees. Let's let our employees take it and commute with it and see what happens. So they did that. <laughs> the employees, like they had cameras in the car, and you can see yeah. they've showed this footage, like using multiple devices, you know, doing putting on makeup. I mean, they were just not paying attention. And for this stuff to be safe, it was a driver assistance system. For it to be safe, you had to be ready to sort of take over at a moment's notice. And Google was like, listen, like we cannot put this on the market. This is way too dangerous. And to understand the problem is not that the technology is so good it or didn't bad. Work, it didn't work out. They didn't work good enough. It's the interaction between the human and the technology. Uh, right. For a tech company, they're like, wait, now we have to crawl inside the mind of this person behind the wheel? No, no, no. Look, we I, don't want to do that. I've been doing a run of cars right now that have a lot of that technology in it. And the message it sends to even a, a person like me, who I consider is fairly educated about cars. But when I turn these elements on, these driver assists, I immediately in my head, I go, what can I do with this time now, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and you know, I know enough from reading you guys and following eyes, like, I better, there's a reason that I need to keep my hand on the wheel every every 10 seconds. But yeah. I totally understand everybody else is going, oh, I think this car drives itself. Yep. You know, it's, it's, a very, it's a very common thought, I yep. think. And I think most people just go, I'll take an app, I'll read, right? And yep. I'll do this other stuff because nothing is telling me otherwise. Right. And so people have actually started to die. Um, and there have right. been a number of cases, and the and national... someone got run over. I remember seeing footage of a, of a homeless woman crossing a street right at Arizona. night. Arizona, uh, yeah. Well, that was Uber. That yeah. was an Uber test vehicle. That was a different situation. Um, but with Tesla, what what it turned out, what happened? The, the, the NTSB, which is the investigative sort of part of the the auto safety regulatory uh, apparatus, started looking into these crashes, right? And and they've they've done two, and they've got two more. Um, that they're currently investigating. And what seems to happen every time, and they've repeated these recommendations twice, is that these systems need two things. First of all, they need a better way to make sure that the driver's actually paying attention. Right. Because all you have to do right now with the Tesla is move the, put one pound foot of torque on the wheel, and it thinks you're paying attention. Well, you don't have to, right? I could be <clears throat> doing anything and, and, and putting a hand on no, the wheel. No, the driver, because I was doing it, was going, I'm going to try to fool the system. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to touch it. I'm going to bump it. But I'm trying to fool the system because I want you this to drive. This is hilarious. Yeah. It's like when the waiter gives you the plate and says it's hot, you always touch it. You're always <laughs> right. fucking with the yeah. Our line with on Seinfeld was, I just want to know what your idea of hot is. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and the other problem is, is that because also Tesla wants this to be perceived as more autonomous than it really is, it lets you use it anywhere, right. even though the system's only designed to be used safely on highways. But how do you get us to pay attention in the car then? That's that's an open question, I guess. Well, right? so the I think Cadillac Super Cruise is the way forward, right? So it has a camera that's watching you. Okay. And so it can actually tell where your eyes are. And actually, Tesla's engineers asked, told Elon Musk, we have to put this in the car. And again, they knew. So, so the funny part with, with Google. So wait, so Google it... had a deal to buy Tesla. And this is how Tesla found out about Autopilot even though they also knew that Google knew that it was unsafe. And Tesla was like, well, you guys might be a bunch of pussies for not putting this on the road. Right. We're not. We'll sell it to people and tell, it it's, tell people it's autonomous. Right. And it's been very good for their business, except that now people are dying. And it's because of specific, <laughs> it's like <Evan's> specific design <laughs> problems the that business. they can't just update with over-the-air updates. So, so let's go back to this camera. So uh, the camera is looking at my face and it's, uh, it knows that I'm doing something else. Yeah. So then what does it do? What does it? What can it really do to, to me Stop to make me freeway? <laughs> no, it turns, off, it turns off the assistance. It just makes you drive. Right. But in turning off the assistance, if There's you're a in moment. the middle of a turn, it, you know. It, so it gives you auditory and, and visual warning. Right. Warning. Right. Warning. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know. have you have you done Cadillac but, Super Cruise? <clears throat> no, I have not. Okay. But but I but I know what you're talking about. I know this dance with the car because I've been doing it on the 405 with these cars. <laughs> yes, and that then I start getting mad at the car. Then yeah. I go, I want. I still go in my head. I make this subconscious. I have this conscious thought that I want you to do the whole job yeah. or do none of the job. Yes. Mm, right? Yep. Because you've got me in this middle area that right. I don't yep. like. I yep. can't relax and I can't drive. Yep. Right. No. That. That's that, it, right? That's that is where the we're at. And it's because people have been told that autonomous cars are so close and they want it. It's right, people understand. We do. And it's because, just like you said, you put your finger on it, people want their time back. And the thing is, these systems don't give your time back. No. If they're designed safely, they don't. What, what Tesla did is by designing it unsafely, it made people feel like you can have a little bit of your time back, you know? You're taking, you know, it, it, it's risky. We're telling you on the, in the official legal boilerplate, don't do it. But we're not doing wink, anything wink, to actually no, no. stop you from doing it. So what does it do right now? Like in Tesla's self-driving system or autopilot, what can I do in it? So really what it <laughs> yeah. does is – What's the point of the option? Because it's like a $7,000 option? Yeah, yeah. Well, the full self-driving. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So there's, so there's and, autopilot and, it, and there's full self-driving. Okay. So, so autopilot, right, it's a, it's a highway system. Um, like Alex Roy drives from New York to Pittsburgh like – regularly for his commute like because he works in pittsburgh and for long drives like that he really enjoys it and i get it and i trust alex roy is a safe well-educated driver Mm -hmm. um who's not going to do a bunch of really dumb stuff with it i do not trust most drivers as much as i trust alex roy right having also like driven across india with him and stuff uh but uh uh, the the full self-driving thing is is a different thing and i think that gets back to what we were talking about um before where they're having to constantly do these escalating things uh, where they're, it's like, oh, we have this thing right around the corner. Oh, but this next thing right around the corner is going to be the biggest one yet. And it so we don't. So Tesla doesn't have full self driving yet. They, they do not. It's an option that you can and buy. How is it going to be different? It's not. It's it, they're never going to be able to deliver it. Is the answer? It's, this is <laughs> so the point. In that way, it's the same. <laughs> and a lot of people, you know, they look at this stuff that I write about in the book, and they and they get so mad at Tesla, and they hate Tesla, and they call it, a, you know, all of it is a fraud. I don't believe everything about. Tesla. I think Tesla's done a lot of good things. They've survived much longer than I could have expected, in part because they're willing to do things that others aren't. Right. But I think full self driving is the point at which they crossed a line, I because they are taking people's money for something that they absolutely cannot deliver. Uh, with any level of safety. Um, if they actually put something out there with the hardware that's in the car, and this gets into very technical so, stuff so, but about let's not radar de- systems and well, and let's forget LIDAR. about that. What are they selling? They're telling us right now, full self driving will do what? That said, I will pull this car out of the garage myself. You can hop in, and I will take you anywhere, highway, back roads. They're saying more than that. So they're saying it's level five, which means fully autonomous, right. no human input in any and all circumstances. The Jetsons. That's the very highest level of autonomy. No other autonomous <clears throat> vehicle company. Even though they have sensor suites that cost a hundred times more than Tesla, or whatever, like some order of magnitude more than what Tesla does, uh, even they say we're only going to operate within like Waymo. So I did a fully driverless ride in Waymo in Arizona. They're only doing that within a very certain area and slowly expanding that over time. And they own the vehicles, and it's like a taxi. Tesla is Tesla. What Tesla is doing is they're taking the future. Everyone knows autonomous vehicles are the future. And they're selling it to people in a form that they recognize, which is buying a car and owning it. The thing is, is that to buy a real self-driving car, it has so much expensive sensors and computer, computers on it, you can't afford it. It's like, you know, the sensors alone are like six figures. Uh, forget the car, right? Yeah, they're it's insane. like air so traffic to, control on a, on a jet. <laughs> they only work as, as shared vehicles, as a robo-taxi right now. But right. Tesla's, And so what Tesla's saying is, buy this car. Sure, it doesn't drive itself now, but... All we have to do is update the software, and then when we do, not only will your car drive itself everywhere without you having to do anything, 
when you don't use your car, you can put it out there and it will operate as a robo taxi for you. Your car will be earning you money. And they even said it will it will pay off itself. Like basically they're promising that this is a, a financial Ooh. perpetual motion machine. I would I would guess people you can trust people not to masturbate in your car, right? Yes. Yes. And eat uh, tacos. You in particular, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Chucker. And, and you know what I'm saying? All I, I mean, hear is I'm getting cr- rich. I hear I'm going to hit the fucking jackpot as a personal injury attorney yeah. with this stuff out there. Oh, yeah. You know, people already are incompetent <clears throat> and when you give lazy people an opportunity to pay less attention, <laughs> yep. um yeah. It's going to be mayhem. I mean, think of the world we live in, Zuckerman. What we saw just this weekend driving with people unable to even know how to use their signals properly, know how to use passing lanes You will die at the hands of idiots. (laughs) The future is, that's what the future is, dying at the hands of an idiot. Think of the dumbest driver you've seen the last week driving, listeners, and now imagine them uh, piloting your 747 on autopilot. You're just going to have them. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Will it work in my life? time so look i mean autonomous i i like i said i just a month a couple weeks ago i was in chandler arizona i was in a fully driverless nobody else was in the in the front seat on public roads but this is waymo this is google this is the company that developed autopilot said this isn't safe we're not going to do it right we're going to just develop actual cars that actually really do drive themselves and and so whereas tesla has one forward radar and then cameras around the car and that's basically it they have cameras around the car which they, by the way, custom designed themselves, mm-hmm. not off-the-shelf stuff like Tesla uses. They have at least four radar. So they have 360-degree radar coverage, and they have 360-degree of what's called LiDAR coverage. So they have three sensors providing 360 degrees of coverage and out to, like, I don't know, 30 meters, uh, you know, right. whatever, 90 feet or something like that, like long ranges. And, and you can see in real time what this car can see, and it's everything around it, right? Um, and it's because AI is limited. It can only do so much. And so it needs as much information about the world around it to make good choices. And what Tesla is doing is they're offering hardware, sensing hardware that is like, you know, 10% of the cost of what a real self-driving car needs. Because unlike Waymo, Tesla has to sell this car to people. It has to be relatively affordable for a private person to buy. Waymo doesn't have that problem. They're just making a taxi that they'll own and will go around and... So do you think the Waymo system will work? It has worked. I I rode on it it in public roads and it's a bizarre experience. You know, I've been in quite a few autonomous vehicles, but always with people in the front seat um, ready to take over in case something happens. When you take that person away, I I thought I was pretty jaded about self-driving cars. It was an amazing experience. It was like... Yeah, you get nauseating, I would imagine. Box. How do you... Like, and slow, sl- let's slow down and describe that because then we, we have to go in a minute. You, you get into this car, yeah, and and then it goes, "Hello," it has a voice, right? <laughs> hello, See, hello. Where would you like to go today? Hello, <laughs> hello, la, la, la. hello. Yeah. There's no Johnny Cap. Okay, yeah. so it, but you, you so tell us what happens. You sit down in the back. Well, so you you hail it just like an Uber or Lyft. Okay, you put your hand out on the side of no, the no, oh, with no, the you, app. With the app. you do yeah. the whistle it like my pulls, dad. Used to. Okay. <laughs> it pulls up. Yeah, it pulls up, um, and but then does because, the door open by itself? Or no, do you, you open have to the open the door yourself. Okay. You have a certain amount of time to to sort of get all loaded in. Okay, um, it already knows your destination because you plugged it in. Because in you plugged the app. it in okay. because this does is it very, talk at any point inside. Uh, no, so Welcome. but you have a display screen right in front of you. So you have your app, okay. which tells you a lot of what you need to know. You have a display <clears> screen right in, t- in front it. of you, and because this is a new, they're just launching this driver fully driverless part of it. So there's no human from the company in the car. They actually do have it call into a call center 
automatically for the first couple of rides that you okay. do that way. Do they so have you a, do actually talk to a person. Do they have a panic button? Yes, they have a they panic button. They have that string well, like wait, in the now, hotel. Take us through. So it knows where you're going. You get in. The doors lock. Do they oh. click lock? And you, then it starts moving, you, right? When you, when you shut it, it basically – and then you press a button on the screen – that you're like ready to go and make sure you're seat belted. Yeah. Okay. Have, and so it belted. starts moving and it's it's in real traffic with other cars. Yep. And and what speeds are you at? Just absolutely. Were up you to, checking speed limits? Up to forty five. Up to forty five. Yep. Moving along. Yep. And how about how does it drive? Like, you know, we're as drivers, we're almost sometimes on bumpers and yep. close to cars. What are the spacings? Like, does it keep? It's definitely on the conservative. It's side. very conservative. Yeah, right? so it's keeping like, a big space. Were people first. Cutting in front of you to get into that space, and was it slowing down? Not or? really. No, it was pretty. I mean, look, it, it's it. You know, Chandler, Arizona is like very suburban, lots of big streets, uh, not a ton of traffic. Right. So it, it was not um, like a very competitive. It's not like driving the four hundred five, right? Like I don't think Waymo is ready to take on the four hundred five. Although <laughs> they are, I think they are talking about coming to LA. Um, but you know, honestly, it was very low drama. Um, it was just weird being in a car and looking out the front and just. There was no one there. But no, was... but uh, now you don't have a crazy Uber. This was my last Uber experience right here. Let me hear. I'll just play this. This is what mine was like. I had 30 minutes, 30 minutes of that. Brush up on your Vietnamese. <laughs> very, hey, perfect. Yeah. No, yeah. A very delightful young lady who spoke it, 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 unbelievable. I mean, for the language, yeah. her diction was insanely good. Yeah. The things and the dong. It was just perfection. She really was great. But I didn't understand why she would talk loudly on a phone for a half an hour while I was held hostage in traffic, right? So yep. this is what she you're describing. you. No, she wasn't. Yeah, she was. No, she wasn't. So the, the funny thing about all this is that you know, so so Google, they decided it's called Waymo now, the self-driving car division. But but back when they were Google, they again they developed an autopilot, decided it wasn't safe because they didn't want to get into this weird human right. machine interaction thing. They did fully self-driving cars. They they worked that technology. It's here, it's real. I've been in it. But now you know what they say the problem is? Turns out that people who drive for a living do more than just drive. They've taught the computer how to drive. It's very good at that. It's very safe at that. But like, what if you're on your way home and you know you're like, hey, you know, pull over here for five minutes. I just want to go into the store and get like, you know, a Snapple or whatever, and I'll be right back. And you know, yeah, leave the meter running or right. whatever. It is. I'll give well, you five bucks. That was going to be my question. Yeah. But but and that's just one example of a whole bunch of things where people have to be right. And, and yeah, humans... but so let me let me ask you this. So if it stops at a stoplight, were yeah. you able to just open the door and jump out if you wanted to? No, it locks. Oh, you. It locks you in. Yeah. I can't do this. No. <laughs> but but there's I, I a button. There's a big red button that's just pull over right now. Pull over right now. And so it just finds the safest button. place right. to pull over. And what if it says, "I don't want to right now, loser"? The whole thing. Is scary. You it's can also always yes. call in their, their you pull over. customer line and talk to a person. Right. So you are always. And here we are. If you'd like to talk to a Waymo representative, please press Meanwhile, one. You're Meanwhile, in Stephen King's Christine. <laughs> and <laughs> who are you calling right now? Yes. You should hang that phone up, loser. What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fuck your mother. You're going for a death ride. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. But this, Us, actually. But this is the part that that's hard. They thought that self-driving cars would just be like teach a car how to drive, and then everything else just takes care of itself. But mm-hmm. they're finding is is like you know car, like the road is a social place it, it's social interactions between humans getting into a car that's true to get a ride with someone is a social interaction with a human taking all the humans out of it 
that it, it seems simple, but there's actually all these weird well, things. Well, you know, traffic that are, when that we hard. get traffic and and roads coming together, and you let someone uh, let a guy go in, or hey, can yeah. you can you pull over? I want to cross lanes because that's my right turn. Exactly. How do you tell right. the, the self driving so car? You summed it up earlier when you said it is the problem is the human machine interface. Yes, that's the one. That's the that is the. In some, the San Andreas fault in this whole thing. Yes, because technology is, I mean, we've made amazing progress in technology, but like when it runs up against needing to work with humans and interact with humans, Each one different. because we're not rational. We're not, we, you get computers working together and it works. They all know the same rules. They're all rational. They all play the yeah. same games. You throw a human into the mix, whether it's in traffic on the road, whether it's in the customer service situation, like, like there's all kinds of things. Um, that that are just weird and and what com- computers are very good at not being distracted, not getting drunk, all kinds of things really great about computers, very precise, but they're not adaptable and they're not flexible and that's what humans are. Humans are adaptable and they're flexible and I think that's fundamentally what all this technology that's trying to automate how we get around is running into. Okay. Is that flexibility is a big part of how we get around. That's, it's what we want out of it. That's why you can't marry. Go for the dog. You can't <laughs> interact with your dog my properly. Dog? Yes, I love my uh, just dog. like the. Yeah, would you marry your dog if you could? Would I marry my dog? Yes. No, but I'd make him self-driving. That'd be <laughs> cool if we could do that. Let me just ask you one last question. Then we're gonna we're gonna end this. It's been fascinating spending time with you. Would you get a Tesla? Would you buy a Tesla? Um, that's, that's a, so you know that, uh, they know everybody, they have a file on every one of their owners and their, your car is constantly connected to them. So I certainly wouldn't be able to, you know, continue to do reporting on Tesla if I owned a Tesla, because I would not trust them to not listen into everything that happens in my car or, or anything. So they're doing car. that, huh? So they're another I mean, privacy concern. I, they Fred definitely Stone. have given people reason to believe that they don't really live up to their privacy commitments. Oh. Yeah. Um, Video and, and audio and just uh, GPS. It's, I mean, and and so the other problem. So I, I would <laughs> consider didn't answer that question. I would Jesus. consider leasing a Tesla, honestly. Like if I, you know, uh, under the right circumstances. But right, um, right. I've got a car that I love. I don't but know. you have privacy concerns. But anyways, yeah. Ed, thank you for coming. in. the book awesome. is ludicrous: the unvarnished story of Tesla Motors. As you can tell. He really knows what he's talking about here. And the book is a fascinating read. Thank you for uh, giving us our copies, my friend. Yeah. But the show is not over yet. When we return, we have some extra content for you. There's a new Netflix movie called Six Underground. Ryan Reynolds is the star. And we have the guy who did his stunt driving, Brett Smurr. And he's got an incredible story to tell you. Please stay with us. As we head back into the NFL season, it's always a bittersweet moment. So much great football's behind us. The good news, there's a lot in front of us. The NFL playoffs, the college football playoffs, and bowl season. If you're looking to add some excitement, make BetDSI.com your betting partner. Using BetDSI's live betting platform, you can watch all the events and bet on the games right up until the final whistle. And guess what? When you sign up and you're a new member, you get a 100% bonus match using my code, my special code. Do you want to know what it is? It's Spike 101. That is a 100% bonus match code, doubling your money to start winning today. Why do you choose BetDSI? Well, BetDSI has the fastest payouts in the industry. Just in the time it took you to breathe, blink your eyes, you get paid. New members get a 100% bonus match using promo code SPIKE101. That's promo code SPIKE101. Go to BetDSI.com and use promo code... You say it. I'm tired of saying it. SPIKE101. You're listening to Spike's Car Radio. 
All right, we're back. What a show today. What a show today. Zuckerman has left. He's off to uh, make his money and to drink baby blood and do all the horrible things that keep him moving. And I've got some extra content for you today. Uh, today we're uh, being visited uh, now by Brett Smurs. What an interesting Latin, last name you have. You don't know this guy, but you know his driving. There is, uh, there's a movie that's debuting on Netflix called Six Underground um, with Ryan Reynolds. It's a big, splashy... It's another big, splashy car movie, right, Brett? Yeah. How would you describe this movie? Because you sent me the trailer, and I put the two harshest movie critics on the couch to watch it, uh, 11-year-old Jack and 9-year-old James, and they went, Oh, my God! Can we watch this now? <laughs> and I said, No. The Netflix publicist sitting in the uh, outside interior hallway there didn't send me a link. <laughs> Here's what I saw. In the in the trailer, I saw beautiful European locations, right? Yes. Italy? Yep. No, we were mistaken. in Florence and Rome. Florence and Rome. I saw Alfa Romeos skidding and drifting, lots of that. I saw beautiful aerial shots and people sliding down skyscrapers, James Bondy style. It looks like a really fun... Do you have any idea what this movie cost? <laughs> it looks like a re- another one of those, like, oh my God, Netflix just spent... $200 million on it, on a movie that they're not going to get box. It's like up there, right? It was pretty close to that, yeah. So I think this is Netflix's biggest budgeted movie that they've ever wow. done. Wow, so, that says a lot because The Irishman just came out. Yep, this is a big one. It's a big one. So and it's going to be a, a... That was $100 million. And then I heard that they paid $100 million to, uh, to age down all the cast, which didn't work, by the way. And you you also did some driving in Ford versus Ferrari. So, so Brett Smurs is a stunt driver uh, with a very... Interesting story. Uh, you started off as a racer, right? Yes. How old, Where are you from, first of all? So I was born in New Jersey. I lived in uh, California most of my life. And for my teenage years, I lived in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Oh, wow. Uh, so I've been around a little bit, but mostly Los Angeles is my home base. Um, yeah, these are lots of places that I know very well. Yeah, <laughs> Coeur very good. Idaho, I spend summers up there. Very good. Yeah, New yeah. Jersey, my brother lives there. But you don't grow up in New Jersey wanted to be a race car driver, like, right? When, no. When does this racing thing kick in? My, my dad was a motorcycle racer when he grew up. He uh-huh. raced road racing motorcycles and got into that. And when I was 11 years old, I asked him for a motorcycle for Christmas, and he bought me a go-kart. <laughs> so it was it was a different uh, from what I asked for, but it got me into cars, and that's kind of led my whole life to today. I just had so. that conversation with my 11-year-old last night. Yeah, you should do it. It's, go-karting Christmas. is a great time. It's fun family well, sport. and they don't know. Expensive. <laughs> well, the problem with the go kart in Los Angeles is where do you drive the go kart in Los Angeles? I and mean, I, yeah, you could always go into the neighborhood and just make your neighbors happy. Yeah, it's mostly about the low profile of the go kart around moms on looking at their iPhones. <laughs> I said, if you want to get squashed like a little dog, <laughs> but I am getting them a taco mini bike. Oh, yeah. Which has a little higher profile, a nice big orange taco mini bike. Very uh, cool. So they're getting something, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, speed, so, is, speed so, is great. And, uh, that's where I started off young age, and I loved it, and now I'm hooked, and now I spend all my money on cars and, <laughs> and racing. So, so and, wait, so how do you transition from racing into uh, stunt driving? 
So my when my dad was growing up, he decided to do motorcycle racing, and when that didn't work out, he chose stunts. So him and his brothers got into stunts, and they did that for their whole life. And when I grew Is this up here in California, in Los Angeles. Well, they lived in New York at the time, or Philadelphia, and they worked in New York. But then they moved to L.A. I it think was that much work in New York doing stunt driving. There's a lot of work in New York. I don't know about per se for stunt driving, but there's a lot of stunt work out in New York, no um, and that's where they began. And then L.A. is like the main, it, at least back then, it was the main mm-hmm. home base. So that's where they all moved out here. And um, when I saw my dad was doing it, I wanted to do racing at first. But then I realized how expensive it was. And, you know, I just, I had the door open for stunts. So I decided to go that route. And I'm glad I did. So, so when you're, so what is your first stunt when they go, hey, kid, how old are you when your first stunt? My first one was, <laughs> I was 18. Uh, I was on the movie The Surrogates okay. uh, with Bruce Willis, and I showed up on set, and they pointed to a truck, and they said, go get in that truck. You're going to crash it. <laughs> and it was, <laughs> like, it. it was like my first job, and I was like, uh, okay. So I jumped in it, and I did it and nailed it and did a so good wait, job. Wait, and... When you crash it, in what way? It was a T-bone crash. So there was another car coming from a blind intersection. Okay. I couldn't see them behind a building, and we had to do like a, a countdown, a 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, because I couldn't see him. Uh, to do the blind T-bone. So I was just crashing into like a Chevy Malibu or something. And, and what do you, do you have a special harness or do you just have the existing lap belt? For that or? one, for that one, I put in um, a special lap belt, like a racing harness. Usually we'll wear like a five point or something, but right. I think this was pretty quick and like go get in it and do it. Um, so I threw a lap belt in and for that, I just kind of tucked my chin and dug it into my chest as much so as I could. Not, and... So you're just showing up to the set. See, I was just thinking about this this morning because I wanted to be a stunt driver, Yeah. right? And as the older I got in my teenage years, I realized, oh, these guys actually sit down and have meetings about this. Oh, yeah. But now you're saying what I wanted to do, which is you just show up, they go crash, and you just figure it out, <laughs> right? That's which is what I wanted to do. I just wanted to do that. <laughs> were you were you terrified? Had you ever crashed before? Ne- I had never been in, and here's the thing, is and I wh- got wh- off the racing circuit, and right? I was trained not to crash. Right. And at all costs, don't crash the car. And then I got on set, and like the first five days on set, they go, get in that car and crash it. So my brain was automatically like, this is not right. So when you crash, what did you feel? I mean, it, it felt very jarring, <laughs> You did, but I, I felt fine. It was honestly, I really enjoyed it. Like, it was really fun. <laughs> and how did you stop your body from moving forward into the steering wheel? Did you just tighten your arms up? No, so I, I had the lap belt, so that, that helped me from, you know, moving forward. But then I braced my arms on the wheel, and you straighten them, not all the way. Like, you kind of right. keep your arms bent a little bit, and you brace on the wheel, and then you tuck your chin in, and you take all the impact so your neck doesn't go flying around, so you just... Duck your chin and take Duck take the chin. hit, but that's not. You normally you're wearing like safety harnesses right, and right. helmets no, and whatever. I know. But I know. But this was just a. It was that's just a, a good quick tip. opportunity. So if we're so. skidding into an accident just on the road. You want to tuck your chin, yeah, mm-hmm. because that it's the neck. Tuck yep. it down like this, exactly. So you don't get whiplash or anything like that. And it it won't take... be perfect, but it'll definitely help. Wow. Here's what's a really interesting detail about that story, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Take us back two years prior to this. Yeah, you're on a trampoline. You're jumping up and down, presumably at a birthday party, or is this drunken tomfoolery? I was at my ex-girlfriend's house, just uh, <laughs> trying to impress her. <laughs> she's uh, Wow, she sounds like a fun girl. She's got a trampoline. <laughs> and what happened? Tell everybody what happened. Uh, let's see. So I was at, at her house, and we had a friend there. His name was Justin. He got up on the balcony, and he <laughs> said, hey, let's jump off the balcony. Send it official now. It's the Instagram. And uh, so he he jumped off, and I was like, I'm going to one-up him. So I got up there, and I was like, I used to be a gymnast. So right. I was like, I'm going to do a flip. 
How so many I, beers? I had zero beers. I zero beers. Didn't drink at that time. Wow, you were a real stunt man. I was pretty clean at that point. So, <laughs> um, so I got up there. I did a brandy flip, which is a front flip with a twist. And when right. I landed, uh, I was still twisting. I landed on my feet, dead center of the trampoline. But I was, I was still twisting, and that torquing motion just—it kind of—it didn't break the bone in half, but it pretty much sheared it. Uh, it shifted the bone, cut the artery. Damaged the meniscus. Jammed one, into my, which leg? It was bad. My left leg. Your left leg. I got compartment syndrome. So all the all the blood was coming in. Ugh. It wasn't really flowing out. So it was just getting big and bigger and bigger. Um, it was pretty messy. But Did they take you right to the hospital? It took a couple hours. I was kind of I was pretty, being pretty lazy about it. Um, I thought I was 16. I was going to get in a lot of trouble. And um, I had a race the next weekend so i didn't want to believe that my leg was broken i knew it but i just didn't want to believe it so i was trying to be slow about it and when i eventually got to the hospital it took a couple hours for me to get into surgery but i had immediate surgery ended up having nine in total in 13 days Uh, i lost 50 pounds i weighed 90 pounds in the hospital Um, nine surgeries yeah the fifth one was when they amputated it it took them three days to figure out the artery was cut. So it was kind of a mess in, in wow. general. Like the doctors were not really up on I wish Suckerman was here. You know, and... my co-host is a PI attorney. We can we can make you some money. Oh, yeah. This story. Yeah, <laughs> so it they was... did their best, do you think? I mean, the guy, you know, it, it, he hadn't done an amputation in 15 years. Um, the doctor actually left town the day of the amputation and gave it to his assistant to do. Right. So it was it was just a big mess. I mean, you know, that was a long time ago, and we dealt with it then. So Wow. So you, but you lose your leg. I did. Matt, it's gone. But I grew another one. So, <laughs> but you, you know, that's a horrible moment for a kid, right? You're it, you're racing the next weekend. Yeah, it it was horrible. But you know what? In wait, all wait, honesty, here's, here's the real question: Did you lose the girl? <laughs> was she impressed? No, she wasn't. And I, I hey, actually look what I did. I did a jump and lost my leg. She didn't really. She didn't, she didn't even go, watch. Wow. She turned her back. Oh, oh man, that was yeah, that was the breaker right there. I was like, yeah, I lost my leg for you. So just to give some, it's just so you know, I want to make sure you heard what you just heard. This guy is a stunt driver, and he lost his leg at 16. He's stunt dri- 2 years later, he's T-boning cars on the set of what? The surrogate. The surrogates, yep. Um okay. So, now let's talk about this new leg you have because uh it's very auto related, right? Tell it tell us what you had made. So let's see. So I I went through a few legs over the years, which is not what most people would say. I have a few in my closet uh, saved in case one breaks. What I makes throw a good leg? What makes it I, honestly? Uh, there's a lot of leg products out there. I use Oser. They are really good. Um, very good product. Good brand. Uh, but my leg is actually from the 90s. It's pretty old. I I, you I like choose legs. I do <laughs> a classic leg. It's like a, it's it, the design is from the 90s, but they keep up updating like little things about right. it. But um, but it's I, carbon fiber. Mine right? is carbon fiber, carbon oh. fiber and titanium. Uh, but that doesn't mean like car carbon fiber as far as like polished and with that finish. It is no, it's it, it's all carbon wow. fiber and um, very fragile. I mean, mm-hmm. I really I beat I beat it up pretty bad. Right, I'm, I'm on it all day and I'm pretty hard on it. I just broke the broke it for the first time after like two and a half years of wearing it. Uh, the carbon fiber just started spraying like flaying out of the side. Right. So I just got a new one or an old foot and replaced it, put it on there. Um, but my leg is pretty old. It's uh, It's got a shock. It's got a leaf spring on the side and the toe kind of splits. So I like that one because it's stiff. A lot of right. people really like soft walking. And You sound like a guy who could really design the next new 
great leg. Man, right? I wish. The, I know yeah. the guy that can, but not me. <laughs> well, I'm not like, that smart. <clears throat> no, but I mean, you'd be able to give that feedback because you're already giving it very accurately just in the description of what makes it actually work. I mean, it's I would think it's invaluable feedback for someone. Well, thanks. Because you're, you're designing it. You're talking about it in an almost automotive car terms, that's, like a test driver like Ken Miles behind the GT40. It's a good idea, but it's not right yet. It's too much weight <laughs> or the wind or the – you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's. I think that's from my racing background, you know, just yeah. whenever you get off the track. It's it's kind of the same. Like You can change the toe in, toe out. You can change caster camber on it. Uh, if there's it, somebody out there listening who knows somebody who this is the guy you want to talk to because he's got the feedback. He's going to make that thing right. Anyway, let's talk about the movie. So now, so you're a stunt driver. This is what you do. You don't let this stop you. It's an amazing story, right? You're just like, whatever. That's, I think, the 16-year-old that just goes, you know what? Let's just keep going with this, right? Yeah. Did the- you continue racing first or did you just jump into the uh, the stunt driving? No, I tried racing for two more years after that and I did. I re-raced. I won a lot of stuff. I won uh-huh. I won a scholarship called the Team USA Scholarship did two years after. Did your parents just at any point just look at you and say, what? You you want it? What? No, they were actually. Honestly, my my mom was the one who was the most emotional about the entire thing. I didn't. Uh, well, I, I honestly imagine. didn't care that I was right. losing my leg. Right. And the only reason I say that is because <clears throat> I met a stunt guy named Casey Peretti who had a prosthetic leg, and he doubled uh, Inspector Gadget, and he was mm-hmm. wearing stilts wow. with his prosthetic leg sprinting down the street in Vancouver, Canada, yeah. when I was nine years old. So that was like locked in my brain. That guy's really cool. You've got these role models. And then I had another one. I just read a book called Alex Zanardi, My Sweetest Victory, and right. he's a racer. Yep. He lost his legs, mm-hmm. and uh, the book was great, and I just finished it right before I broke my leg. So wow. I had those th- those things in my brain. I knew I wanted to race, and I was 16. I had a long life ahead of me, so I wasn't going to let it stop me. Um, so I was actually back in a car in three months after wow. the accident. All right. Well, let's talk about the film here. Let's do so it. I can sense your publicist getting upset that we're not promoting the movie. Look at him smiling. He's like, yeah, that's right. Promote that movie. I'm going to watch it. I am excited about seeing it. Um, Six Underground. I mean, what's better than watching something like this around the holidays, right? With everybody crowded around the big TV. You can see it in theaters on December 11th. Um, and then it's on Netflix shortly after on the 13th. Michael Bay is your director, right? Yes. What, what was it like working with Michael Bay? Because he's got quite a reputation for big, splashy, you know, fun scenes. He does. No, it was a lot of explosions, as you can imagine. <laughs> Lots of fire. Lots of fire explosions. No, mm-hmm. it was it was a great time. I really had a good time with Michael. Um, he's a very serious director. He's very, honestly, I thought he was fun to work with because mm-hmm. I like working with serious people <clears throat> that are, you know, know what they want, know what they're doing. Did you spend any time with Ryan Reynolds? I did. I, I got to drive Ryan around for a little bit. Super funny. Nice he is guy, right? super funny. I'm nicer than you can imagine. He's yeah. very, very nice. Very he's also, humble. Uh, he's also a driver, but he likes motorcycles. He likes yes. Triumph bikes, right? Yeah, I did not know that about him. He really likes motorcycles. We talked about that for a little bit, so mm-hmm. that was pretty cool. Did he do any of his stunt driving? Is he a good driver, in your opinion? He actually was drive, uh, riding passenger for the movie. Oh, wow. So he wasn't driving. Did he it get was car Dave, sick? It was, Dave, um, it was Dave that was driving. Wow. Uh, Dave Franco. Yes. Oh, yeah. How did he do? I like him. So he did a few sh- a few shots by himself. I actually trained him at Willow Springs okay. um, at Drift 101 before we went. So I've to try done and get him Drift some... 101. What a great program it that was. is. Yeah. Who's was... the fellow there? 
Oh man, I, I can't. <clears throat> he remember is his such name. a funny guy. He, you know, you get the feeling that he lives out at Willow Springs. He does. Like but he does. He does live in there. the cars behind a dumpster, and then he comes out, and you start drifting these funny cars. It's such a great program, you guys. If you want to learn how to drift, <clears throat> Drift One Hundred and One. I'm taking my kids there as soon as they're old enough. They're yeah. they're dying to go. That's, That's an fun. awesome so, program. So so. Uh, how much time did Franco spend on the track? Then? We, we spent him there two days. Two days. Wow. So we had two full days. Uh, I got him drifting smoke. after day one. He had uh-huh. never driven a manual. Uh-huh. So I was actually really impressed with him. If he spent some time behind the wheel, I guarantee you he'd be pretty fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's wow. a good driver. Wow, I, and I, as far as Ryan's driving, I'm not really sure. I didn't see him drive. He's he just, just riding passengers a lot. But I'm sure he's great. He's one of those weird guys who tend, he can do it all. Yeah, <laughs> he can act. Totally. He's funny. He's a big, good husband. Collects motorcycles. Yep. We hate him for it. <laughs> we just hate him for it. And uh, all right, what was the most challenging scene here? You guys, see, so you're driving that uh, that what Alfa Romeo uh, Julia's, right? Yes. You like that car? How is it? I mean, it it's got a reputation for not being all that uh, you know reliable as far as like a car on the road. What is it like to use as a stunt car? Man, that's actually to be honest, that actually shocks me. I would say that the Alpha would be a pretty reliable. I don't know about mechanically, you know, but mm-hmm. as far as like driving as a daily driver, it's a really nice car. The only qualms that I had about it, as far as being a stunt driver, is that you couldn't turn all the aids off. So we had to kind of work around it. We had right. we had the Alpha technician um, from Alpha. Uh, he helped me, you know, get the car going the way we we needed it to to slide around. So we had some extra mods on there. Um, uh-huh. But otherwise, I really love the Alpha. It is such a great car. I would own one if I could and had all the aids and everything <laughs> off all the time. I would just be sliding around everywhere. So so you – and the big scene, it seems like, the big stunt scene is in the uh, the Uffizi Museum. What is the Uffizi Museum? But you're driving through the, the – I mean, explain what, what's happening here because, you know, they don't even let you kind of walk into a museum without washing your hands these days. <laughs> right. How, how did you get permission to drive a car through a museum? That is a great question. I That's have Michael no Bay. idea how he <clears throat> got permission to do that. Um, it so was describe, really so. How, when they say we're going to do this scene, this shot in the Uffizi Museum, I know, and I'm not pronouncing that right. Right in a museum, you go okay. What do they take you into a room and say? Here's the storyboard. We're going to. No, you're shaking your head. They no. just you show up to work that day, and they say you're going to drive through a museum. No, we had a scout like a couple weeks before we actually shot it, mm-hmm. but it was mainly just walking through it, seeing if it was possible. <laughs> and then on the day, you show up, and it's like here's now there's a glass door that wasn't there before. You're going to be busting through it, uh-huh. and by the way, you can't see through it, but you only have like. 20 feet to stop afterwards to make the turn. Otherwise, you're going to run into a statue inside of the museum, which is invaluable. And if you touch it, you're leaving Italy. <laughs> it's kind of kind of what we were told. Oh God, I don't even understand how... Well, so, this is the Italians. They don't make sense a lot. That was the most <laughs> nerve-wracking part of the movie, for sure. So Just you because... have to fly in. So, so I'm, it's a, I, I think I saw the scene in the trailer, right? There's yes. an archway. Yep. They've installed their glass, glass doors, yep. right? Which you're going to blast through. How fast, how hot are you coming in? I was coming in probably about 35 or so. Okay. M- my concern was when the glass breaks, is it going to be slippery? Because the ground was really slippery in general. It was it's really marble like floor, right? very smooth and slippery. Right. But then the glass breaking on the wheels and stuff, I didn't know how slippery it was going to be when I got in there. So that was <laughs> that was really the and test. If you, <laughs> was if you the skid shot. too far, you hit the statue. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> how many takes do you get? 
One. Just it was one take. One take. So it was one and done. If you mess it up, maybe I, they might have had a second door, but it was it was just a one, you know, one and done. Would have taken hours to reset. But so. once you're inside, I'm imagining you're still driving, right? Does yeah. the chase continue inside the we museum? went through the doors and out the other side. It was pretty crazy. Um, and you have Ryan Reynolds in your passenger seat. No, that one was – I had the stunt, the stunt double in the, the passenger stunt seat double. with me. But they had a lot of fun on that one. All the, I had four people in the car – or three people, one including me. and then uh, But they were in there the entire movie. So they had a blast getting wow. to ride passenger. And uh, they all said that it was a fun time. So You just must be pinching yourself, right? Going, how is this my life right now? Honestly, what yeah. A, no, they, what a fantastic like, thing. To be able to go to Italy and ha- do a full car chase sequence with Netflix and Michael Bay and Alfa Romeo in that car was such a good time. I mean, it was it was really – like looking back on it, it was really fun. I'm probably I'm going to remember it my whole life. Yeah. And you're it, living the dream and you're just starting. For sure. You're just starting before I let you go. Uh, did they call you up for that Ford vs. Ferrari movie? Did you uh, work on that? I did. Yeah, I worked on that. I drove uh, one of the old Ferraris. You uh, did? I did for a little bit. For and which I, scenes? Uh, it was for the scene when they started the 24-hour race. Mm-hmm. I got to run across, jump in it, Look pull at out. That. Look um, at this guy. Are you inspired you... by this guy, listeners? Look at that. He's in the <laughs> running scene. That's one of my favorite scenes. My kids uh, were like, that's the poster you have on our wall. Because I have this old Belagon from the Le Mans race in the late 50s, a little poster I found on eBay, and it shows those guys running across. I love this poster. And I was so happy to see that scene. Were you in the foreground or in the back? Unfortunately, I was in the far back. I was in last. Right. Um, (laughs) What did you learn from that sprint? Because they don't do it anymore, right? What did I learn from it? As far as being a racer, it seems ridiculous that there is a running element to this. It's really, honestly, thinking about it, like it was cool to be on that set and see the, like, see it and just be a part of it and then actually get to do the running sequence. I can't even imagine doing that for real. If you did that for real, you would just be jumping in the car and maybe you get your belts on in time to leave. And right. otherwise, you're probably throwing your belts on while you're driving. Cause well, you're opening a door, closing a door, starting a car, putting on your belts. Yeah. That's, a, that's a little bit of a slow but moment, you see right? But pe- you see people jump in and leave. Like, right. they're gone. Right. So you know that they're out there with their belts off and they're so, just sitting there fumbling while they're driving trying to get their belts buckled. And I, so, It was a different time back then. Those guys were wild. I mean, let me, I, so you're getting in that car. How much driving did you do after that? Is is this one of those super uh, super performance cars? Is that what the what it well was, the or? Ferrari that I was in was one of the oh, hero. It was, a Ferrari. it was the hero Ferrari, so it had a really good engine in it. So that was really fun to drive. What I, was that car? Because I know the, the the Fords and the Shelbys; those were super performance replicas. Yes, your car was what? It was it was a replica, but it just had like an LS three in it corvette motors yes so <laughs> so that, uh, that's just with every movie you know like most <clears throat> right, not every right. movie like not not in six underground we had the real alpha and that was all yeah, re- yeah. done for real but like in those movies it's all kit cars and they have engine not all of them but some of them are most of them are kit cars they have like ls motors in right. them or they're honestly like falling apart they look beautiful but a lot of them are falling apart and uh it was a great it was a fun time i got wow. to that, got to do the pullout scene got and to drive on where Willis were you in atlanta and, Doing that part of it, they or, did. They did film in Atlanta, it? but I actually went out to Italy to film Six Underground. I was going to join them, but I I chose Six Underground instead, which I'm glad I did. Yeah. Um. Uh. But we did those shots at Willow, Willow Springs, and then they did some in in Atlanta at Road Atlanta, and I think those were the two main tracks wow. that they used to film. There you so. go. What an amazing life you have. What an amazing life you're listening to, Brett Smurs. <clears throat> this new movie, Six Underground. 
They want to take your uh, your Alfa Romeo and do what the Italian job did and make it the most desirable new car. We are we love the way those cars look, and now you're going to get to see the way they drive. Um, you got to check this out. I, I watched the trailer. We're all excited about seeing it this Christmas. I'm looking for the dates. There it is in theaters December 11th, and then on Netflix December 13th for the lazy folks like me. Six Underground. Brett Smurs. Thank you for coming by, man. Come back and see us sometime. I will. Thank you so much. And that's been Spike's Car Radio. We'll see you next week, folks. Thanks for listening to Spike's Car Radio. Download new episodes every Wednesday on the Podcast One app or subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com. Hey, Jordan here. I know a lot of you create your own podcasts, and a lot of you already have one like me. I obviously love what I do. It's taken a lot of hard work to get to this point of success. You shouldn't have to pay fees for platform hosting, distribution, analytics, or fees to create a podcast. You need to be able to focus on producing the best show possible. Now, Podcast One, that's a network I'm on, they have Launchpad Digital Media, or Launchpad DM for short. So it's free, includes unlimited hosting, full control of distribution. You have access to a full dashboard with analytics. Again, totally free. You own everything, by the way. You own your content, you own your subscribers, no tricky stuff there. And you get your own show page on launchpaddm.com for people to listen to and subscribe to your show. It's the only hosting platform brought to you by the leading network, Podcast One. Podcast One will promote the site, drive people to discover your podcast. And if your show grows, you could even be invited to join Podcast One's all-star roster, which includes people like Adam Carolla, Caitlin Bristow, Shaq, Lady Gang, and of course, me, Jordan Harbinger, I'm there too. You also get access to their production and sales support. So with all this completely free, don't use other hosting platforms. Why would you need to? Learn more or sign up now at launchpaddm.com. And don't forget to check out the Jordan Harbinger Show.